You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast, championship edition. Fresno State traveling to Boise State for the Mountain West title game. We'll get to that momentarily, but check everything out at mwwire.com because, Matt, boy, it's not just championship season. It's coaching season. It's basketball season. It's other random season. season, too. Yeah, sure. I'm sure. I'm about to say, yeah, there's one more thing, the portal season. So we got those updated on their site, but how you going? You got a, your team is playing this weekend. How are you feeling? I forgot to ask you that. What's going on? It's uh, you know, I, it's pleasantly surprised considering how angsty me and the rest of the wet red wave surely felt a couple months ago this time. But uh, both, you know, they turned. Teams, it's, right? it's, it's 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 amazing what an what an all conference caliber quarterback can do for your fortunes. And receiver. And running back, and one of the best defenders in the conference, who we'll get to David Prowlis' status later. Uh, That's here's true. Where, here's how here's how this is going down, folks. You're gonna have to wait, or obviously this is an on-demand media. You could fast forward to the title game preview, but first we're gonna talk the Mountain West Conference beat us to the punch, which is fine. A little unexpected early in the week, but they released their all conference players, and I will give you a million miles worth of credit, Matt, because you always do a good job. Well, you're not just doing offensive linemen or secondary. You go inside linebacker, outside linebacker, defensive tackle, 
flex defensive position because I think in our MWR team, as you're the head coach, Matt, we run a three three five, right? Is that how it works? Almost. <laughs> well, okay. So I always explain it every year when I put these articles in the preseason and postseason. The intent behind that is to reflect what teams are doing on the field. So where you know some teams might run a three three five, you know others, of course, run a four two five. So you know that's it has the unintended consequence of making some some boats particularly rigorous. Like um, you know, we'll probably talk more about our staff picks when they were revealed in a couple of days. It will be out by the time, uh, or excuse, well, shortly after this podcast comes out. Um, but yeah, like the the idea is like we're trying to do something that reflects what teams are doing on the field, um, while also being as specific as possible. Because you know we've talked about this before. I'm pretty sure we talked about it during the preseason in particular. I mean, the conference media knows a lot, but then like sometimes they do things like vote for five offensive tackles to be the preseason all conference of the year, things like that. So we do what we can to give recognition as specifically as possible. That's basically hey, the idea. We, I'll tell you this. We get some DMS people appreciate it. Just saying. Yeah. That we, we go beyond. Also, I don't know how the postseason works. I know preseason. Cause there was a quarterback conundrum or tight end conundrum too, where teams nominate. It's like, why is it this? Cause it was a couple years ago or was it Donald Hammond when he, the year before he left the team or whatever 2019. happened. Yeah. Like he wasn't even, Honored he wasn't even or, nominated. Yeah, nominated. So I don't know how postseason exactly works for this, but teams, at least in preseason, I know they nominate like one player's like, oh, there's only three quarterbacks. So I guess I got to pick one of these three. And yeah, what do well, you and, and you may Not recall good. too that that there was only one tight end nominee. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't it Graham's tight end? I think uh, Tanner Arkin, who, by the way, uh, we're recording this on November 30th, entered the transfer portal today. Uh, lovely portal season also it should be noted december 5th is officially when they can sign with new teams or move new teams so also i think i'm using air quotes here which you can't see initiate contact <laughs> with other teams on yeah december i mean 5th there have the, been uh, there have been a couple of players from the mountain west who have found new destinations but i think until the fifth everything is mostly like what you might call unofficially horrible. official right it's the uh, legal tampering period in NFL likes to call now, essentially. Yeah, because yeah, there, the there have been a couple of a couple of former Boise State players. Jacob Golden went to New Mexico State. Casey Klein, former Boise State tight end, is at Lamar on the FCS level now. So, and and we're seeing that that action pick up uh, in in the last couple of days. You know, Arkin was one name out of Colorado State that just entered today. Uh, George Mickey Hahn, offensive lineman who started the majority of the second half of the year for the Rams, he entered the portal today. So did a couple of Utah state players. So once again, mwwire.com, uh, you'll, we have this transfer tracker stickied. So you can basically check it once a day. If you don't necessarily want to keep up with everything on social media. Yeah. And it's a giant post has a big picture and Matt, you does the most heavy lift down there. We'll do articles occasionally if warranted. Like we do think Bachmeyer early in the year. And if like somebody big moves, we'll probably do that. But yeah, check that out. It's, and we update it as much as we can. We usually tweet it out, like we either retweet it, retweet it or something. You or I, mostly you, on this front, and we'll put a little note in there. We're going to start a coaching one as well. But actually, really quick for the awards, are there any surprises with this? Because I had to change my, my vote last minute to the the correct person, Brad Roberts, getting Player of the Year, Offensive Player of the Year. 
the first running back to get since I believe 2017 when Donald Pumphrey, is that correct, from San Diego State? I believe so, yeah. Sounds right. So running backs are rare to get this award. So the only other choice off for me was Tori was Horton from CSU, which I made my case had to redact sheepishly last time we recorded. <laughs> but it makes too much sense, right? Because quarterback, Jake Kane, like you made the case player of the year. He's ar- arguably, I think, is the best player. But when you miss a handful of games, Taylor Green came on late. George Lonnie was hurt. Shavon Cordier was good, but not great. Uh, Hazy Daniels didn't have a monster rushing attack to, and, and passing was minimal for Air Force, but no complaint. Like all the awards, do you, do you see any complaints? Like uh, Fahoka was my defensive player of the year pick in our staff, which will be up in a couple days. I don't know if I chose Jack Brown. I think I did, but I think they got it right this time, right? Is that, is that your assumption for the big time players? I mean, I the, I think, you know, as you mentioned with Hayner, yeah, I, I mean, if it were me, I, I, I stumped very hard for Jake Hayner and on our internal staff vote, which again, mwy.com in a couple of days. I, Before the you know, I chose, I chose Hayner sure. as my pick just because despite losing a handful of games that he did the most with the time that he was on the field. I agree. And like I, I, and I, and that's most of where my particular stance comes from. You but, can make the case; it's great. But given that Roberts did set an Air Force rushing record this year, which, considering how often they run the ball, not an easy thing to do. It's a, it's a perfectly understandable stance that that Roberts is, you know, sort of a cut above than you might say. Um, defensive Player of the Year is sort of interesting because you know, while so Hoko, many. There are so many guys who have, um, I would say, a legitimate case, you know, not just, you know, Pahoko, but like David Perales, who led the conference in sacks, Uh, you know, Jonah Tavai. While missing missing games too, right? Yeah, Jonah Tavai, like he didn't put up the same kind of stats he did a year ago, but he was still a monster. Um, You know, Muhammad Kamara, who's basically the Tory Horton of the, the Colorado State defense. Uh, Adam Plant Jr., who stepped up big time in in without Jacoby Women and and Brennan Scott on that Rebels defense, like that's like four or five guys right there. We're not even getting to like the guys in the secondary who had really strong Bentley cases. Sanders. Guys like Bentley Sanders, you know, I, I you know Noel Williams, Ike Larson, J.L. Skinner, a lot of different guys had a Don very Peterson strong was a case. Great year. He wasn't going to get it, but he's up. He's probably a. In the not necessarily the top conversation, but like he's really good, like really, really, really good. I think the so one it, that I was surprised by was Browning. Why is that? I think because, well, I will. I th- oh, here's the case. I think he made it because he's a punter and a kicker, so he gets more opportunities. I think I would have been. I mean, within our staff vote, I think I would have been more inclined to vote for Browning. If he had been a touch more accurate as a kicker, which which granted, you know, he was 81% on the year, 17 of 27, which is nothing to sniff at. And it was a similar kind of situation to what they often did with Matt Ariza a year ago, where they they put him in situations where they expected him to make those difficult kicks. So I'm not necessarily like you know, trying to like ding him too much for that i mean i think the case is is sound i think he's definitely i think he definitely has one internally i voted for daniel gutierrez makes sense he's very accurate 
Yeah, and, you know, number yeah. one in the conference in in field goal percentage this year, eighteen of nineteen. You know, again, new program record holder for most points scored in a career, uh, most accurate field goal kicker in Rebels history now. So I just thought that given what he meant to a Rebels team that, you know, did a lot this year, or, or even if they didn't reach all of their goals, they definitely got back, you know, a lot of what they had been missing in the last few years, as far as like, you know, getting back into the win column and things like that. That was sort of the, the calculus that I did with my particular vote. I, I uh, and then, of course, Taylor Green, I think, was probably the most obvious candidate for freshman of the year. Yeah, before he came on. I may have voted for Jordan Bird because, you know, like points, he had two returns for touchdown, punt and kick. Mm-hmm. But um, I need to look and see. Maybe I could find mine real quick. But I I figure scoring versatile, a good point and kick return. But it's I, – I do think Browning got it just partly because he did, he was – well above average and played two positions essentially. Yeah. But it's not, it's that's the only one like, yeah, maybe, maybe not anything else. Like one thing that people pointed out, like air force, their defense is really good. Only had Vince Sanford on the, or excuse me, they had Trey Taylor. Also him. Sheesh. I added him to our list. Cause we made a uh, public list and boy, air force fans came out big time and I'll probably get to publishing that Friday at some point, but they yeah, only had two I players. Know, I mean, on the, here's on the, the here's the side. thing. Here's the thing. Where is Camby Goff on this list? Yeah, I'm like you can that be a legit player of the year. Season. I, I don't get it, man. Can't, I don't know, man. He's very, I mean, very, I think very, very. It's very hard good. to. I mean, yeah, because I think the other thing is too is I wonder whether the, the conference media habitually underrates Air Force's offensive line. Oh, easily they have the highest. I, 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 they I did, like get, they did for, get. Yeah, as you can say, they did get two selections. They got Isaac Cochran on the first team, Everett Smalley on the second team. But... Cochran had the highest PFF, PFF grade by any offensive lineman in the country, I yeah. believe. I'm checking that right now. But he was – I'm going to double-check right now as you go. By I finally pointed up for PFF the other day. I'm like, look at this. I believe he did have the highest grade as offensive lineman. That offensive sounds about right. Yeah, like, I mean, there's a reason this like, unit is a Joe Moore Award semifinalist again this year. And we joked, everybody, Sean, even Josh, the CSU stuff, like, well, I'm putting the whole Air Force offensive line number one. I'm like, can't argue that too much, right? They they had another really good season. I mean, I, I feel like with offensive line in particular, and I, and I, I, I mean, I don't want to call it lazy, but it does feel like they're picking names. Sometimes. It's also hard too. Like, it's difficult to know. So, like, I use PFF. I go off rushing stats. Sacks allowed are kind of big indicators for me. But to know what particular player, it's it's also it's the most in my opinion. Unless you played or watch every team a lot, it's it's hard to know. But you're not wrong. Like, well, this guy's was a name at some point, so he's probably still good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, needless it's like, to say, just in in sort of you know wetting the appetite for for our picks. Um, spoiler alert: I think a lot of our first team picks are going to be much different on both sides of the ball. So here it was Kelly Holcomb, highest graded offensive tackle. Yeah, I think the the in Holcomb's case though, the the one caveat is like if you look at his snap count, there's that too. Yeah, it's significantly lower than it than a lot of the other players at the, at the top of that position. You know, he split time I think with Adam Karras, if I'm not mistaken, at the tackle position. So. You know, while he does have a grade, there is what you might call like a smaller sample size. Mm-hmm. 
but again, like you, if, all you can do is whatever you need to do when you're on the field and when you're doing it at that level that consistently, it does feel like, you know, guys like that, despite playing, you know, fewer snaps overall on the aggregate, that those guys sometimes deserve more recognition than they get. Let me ask you this one player who I don't think I ranked at all. Maybe I put him third team. Tyrell Shavers. Does he deserve an all second team? You know what's interesting about wide receivers, like when you when you really dig into it, like once you get past that the the top three that the that the conference media selected, uh Tory Horton, Jalen Marino Cropper, Elijah Cooks. Yeah. There's not a ton of obvious candidates for like, okay, well, who's on your second team? I, I think I look at my Brian Cobb, seven second, third in receptions. You have yeah, I know I, put, I think that, I, that would be fair. But shavers, I'm like, what why is he okay? I'm not it's not okay. It's also offensive context, but also he'll only had 34 catches. Yes, he averaged 17 yards per catch and only three touchdowns. I'm like, why is that his second team? I put yeah, you see he, yeah, yeah, he averaged 17 yards per catch. That was number one in the conference, though. Uh, no, Air Force, David Courier. Come on. 29.5. How many catches, how many catches did Cormier catches. have? 13, oh, 13, but he also had four, but four touchdowns. I put him on a third-team selection because I wanted to give credit to that 30 okay, No, no, I, and, I, and, and, and I'm glad you did that because I think it's very easy to overlook Falcons receivers for how, how infrequently they throw the football. Very but efficient. I, That's like you said, offensive lineman, like what he did. But I think Shaver's, you know, really benefited from, you know, we, we've talked a lot about Jalen Maiden and his ascension over the second half of the year. Oh, yeah. And I think that Shaver's was probably the primary beneficiary of his ascension to the starting job. You know, he had 200 yard games down the stretch, you know, in the second half of the year, he had at least three catches in all but one of the Aztecs' last one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. And he was a, he was a big play receiver that we haven't always seen from the Aztecs in that offense. And so it, it's not quite Air Force-esque, but it's sort of in that same vein where, no, he didn't have a lot of opportunities come his way, but when he did, he was easily one of the people in the conference who made the most of those opportunities. Yeah. You know, like like you, you mentioned... Um, you know, Brian, Brian Cobb's having, what, 70 catches, right? Yeah. Okay. So Brian Cobb's had 11 catches of 20 or more yards. Shavers, who you mentioned, has had how many receptions? Uh, 34. So he had eight catches of 30 eight. or more yards, okay. or of 20 or more yards. So I think when you, when you put sort of his contributions into context, it... it becomes a lot more convincing than it would look on its face sort of without that. Yeah. Cause I looked at him. I'm like, I, cause I was going to double check, like Jesse Matthew, like San Diego state air force. Those teams who typically don't throw a ton because the volume's not always there. So I'm like, well, how did Matthews go? So I put him on a team. He's really good. Made good plays, but not quite what he was last year. I, mm-hmm. It could be league play only to look at a bit because the Aztecs team plays in an inconsistent the first month of the season for six weeks. Essentially, I'm not I'm not dissing any player, but it's also at some point your team's got to give you the ball and make plays and do things, which he did. His chances he got, he did very well. I just feel that's like, nah, I wouldn't have put him second team. That's what I'm getting at. Like he's a good player, and when he gets the ball, he makes play. But I would not put him a second team player. Okay, well, speak. Okay, so speaking of conference play, though, 
Because you said he had 31 yeah. catches on the year. He had 27 of those catches in conference action. Right. 20 or 30, he was, 27 he was, or 38. He was fifth in the Mountain West in receiving yards. Okay. Well, Averaging 19 yards great. a catch. I, I conference mean, that, the, 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 conference the player is totally are, Jimmy. Yeah. It, uh, in in conference play. So eight, oh, okay. eight total I'm, games. Okay. So I'm looking. I'm looking at Terrell Where is she? I'm looking at the wrong thing. Okay. He's right, be, he's not, right below Terrell Vaughn. Yeah, there he is. Or right yeah. above him, rather. I'm looking at sees I'm not conference play. Can you sort by conference play in uh oh yeah you can right there in CFP stats. Well, yeah, if you go that route, the, he was even like 20 almost 20 yards per catch. So he was a bit a touch better. So that could make more sense. So I look pretty deep. I just I don't know. It's preference, I guess. I think if you're gonna be an all-conference player, like I go from an Air Force guy who got the highest PFF grade in Holcomb, but I just I don't know. I think if you're an offense, you gotta put up numbers. And he did. But there's people, and again, it's product of your offense as well. That's part of it too. But clearly, 20 yards a catch when you play conference play is pretty good. Really, really good. Yeah. So maybe I'm nitpicking there, but but then again, you mentioned how close these guys looking. Like they pick all tackles for offensive linemen. So so it's kind of surprising to pick a receiver who surface numbers don't look amazing outside of the well, okay. To be to be fair, they picked you know four I mean? tackles and one center. You got to pick. I think a center is obligatory. You have to. But my point still stands. I think they look, they go very generic and broad for names and linemen where they actually dig deep and say, Shavers, hey, he's deserving of this spot because of what he did. Yeah. And like, it's, it's like, who you put in or take out? Like, I don't know, Terrell Vaughn, pretty good. Five touchdowns league play to Shavers one. So they're, it's it's nitpicking a bit, but I'm not saying he's a bad player. I, for me, I would not have put him a second team guy. Yeah, I could see that. Anything, anything else in the league conference play? Or not league conference play, but uh, the, League of Awards. Well, okay. So, do you think there were any other stubs? Because I think one one player I was surprised to see on there, despite the fact that he's been injured. You know, uh, Evan Williams. Jake Hayner? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> not Jake Hayner. Well, uh, no. <laughs> Sorry. No. No. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. But no. But I was sort of surprised to see Evan Williams on there, if only because you know what we talked about a minute ago with Camby Goff. Mm-hmm. You know the 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 other guy who also I think actually. Now that I'm looking at it, there were three players in the conference who had 12 passes defended this year. Mm-hmm. None of them are on the all-conference team. Goff, Cam Stone from Wyoming, Boo. Cowboys cornerback, and Jarek Reed the second. Jarek Reed? Oh, come on, man. I think I put him – oh, jeez. I put Jarek Reed up there. It's like – That's kind of a surprise. I, d- I did not realize that until right now. And and, and now that I'm looking at, that, at it, I don't think any of the three guys who had 11 pass breakups are on there either. What are they looking for then? Probably like interceptions, interceptions? things like that. Yeah. Like, okay, now I'm, well, so now, well, well, now, now I'm curious because, okay, there were, there were <laughs> 10 players who had at least 10 passes defended, which is basically interceptions p- plus pass breakups. Yes. And if I'm reading this correctly, I'm just making, I'm double checking this. None of them made the all conference defense. So let me, let me just run through this list of names real quick because there's a, there was a lot of really good performances this year on that front. So from the top, so we mentioned Goth, Stone, Reed the second, Michael Onyonwu, and Hunter Reynolds from Utah State. Hunter Reynolds didn't do that. Oh, no. It's embarrassing. Hunter Reynolds is very, very good. Although to the oh, to, to the to the media's credit, they did 
Ike they did Larson? honor Ike Larson. Two freshmen. He had Halky. Is that how you say his name? AJ Halky. Halsey. Halsey. Sorry, not okay. The both freshmen made uh, second team. Yeah, and then so then beyond beyond uh, Onyanwu and and Reynolds, there Cam Lockridge from Fresno State, uh, Isaiah Asisima from Nevada, Aiden Hector from CSU, Nehemiah Shelton from San Jose State, and Malik Houseman from Hawaii. You know why Jack Howell probably made it? He had three picks, but also 108 tackles. I was going to say, Jack Howell's been very good this year. So, like, I, I I'm know, not... I, well, I, was, I, was, I was looking at, you said interceptions. Like, three is above average, obviously. Only three mm-hmm. pass defenders, but 100-plus tackles. So, I'm like, if you wanted a true DB and not a guy who has to step up and help with the run game, eh, maybe there's somebody else. Just saying. Yeah, but, I mean, other than that, like, you know, Air Force not getting enough respect and, and a couple of, of, of similar kinds of snubs elsewhere – I mean, other than that, you're really getting into nitpicking territory. Yeah. All right. We'll have ours again by, by sometime Friday. So when this is out, it should be shortly after this is posted at some point before the title game. Um, really quick, the Rose Bowl, The as our buddy – um, oh, shoot, what's his name on Twitter? Arkansas State guy. Oh, crap. I don't have it up. I have too many tabs open. Are you talking um, about uh, Justin Harper? No, 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 not Justin Harper. Um he did stuff with us with CFN. Oh my goodness! Is that oh yeah? A State fan rules. Wait, that's different. That's a different name he had, or is that his real name? That's <laughs> his, well, yeah. Justin Harper's his real name. His, his, he had a fake his name. Handle as A State fan rules. Well, he had a fake name for a while. Like my pen name is. So maybe I'm getting that confused. But Kurt, Kurt like a proprietor of HowlRazor.com. Yeah, go check it out. So there it is. I'm on. Okay, I can't believe like, I'm like I know it's a different name, but here's the thing. Um, he points out, I'm glad the parade finally stepped aside for the college football playoff to get expanded earlier than later. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's we're not gonna spend too much time on this. It's good for the Mountain West, good for the group of five. If they're the best team, they get a playoff spot they're in. But it, it's like you're from California. Do you care about the Rose Bowl Matt that much? I mean, I'll watch it if it's on. Oh, geez, that's a but I'm, I'm, I'm that. Used, put that but on the I'm movie usually... poster. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm usually just – I'm mostly just interested in the Mountain West Bowl games. I cannot lie. Like, I barely watch the playoff, too. So it's not like the Rose Bowl is unique in that regard. You watch it. Fair point. I watched last year Utah was in it. So I'll watch it. But I want a good game, too. It's like I'll watch other college football here and there when I'm yeah Pac-12 mostly. But it's just hilarious that, oh, we want to be on at 2 o'clock local time. We need to be – like, folks – if I had my say in college football, and we'll move on quickly because it's not too much importance to what we're doing, just make the Rose Bowl, which it's a great scene. Now, to be honest, the scenes here in Utah, Weber State, Utah State, Utah BYU, Trump the Rose Bowl scene, not kidding, especially during wintertime, but they'll never put a title game in Salt Lake City or Provo. But make the, if the Rose Bowl so special, make it a freaking championship game. But you know why, they, Matt? I know you know why they want to keep it at the time and day, correct? The sunset? You know, the no, more it's worth more than sunset. All the money they get for being on mid afternoon on January first. <laughs> That's all it is. And so that's being done. It's a good thing, but it's like to come down to this is ridiculous. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. 
Ships Registry, Bahamas. All right, next move. We're going to be talking a little bit about UNLV coaching search and um, why is Gary Patterson the worst choice to be the head coach, Matt? Uh, is it because the game is passed him by, Jeremy? Um, yes and no. I will say, well, then maybe I'll go yes and yes. To a guy who, okay, where's TCU at the moment with Sonny Dykes' new head coach, Matt, in the playoff rankings? Do you, Are you following that at least? <laughs> I think I barely looked at, <laughs> at the Twitter feed. Um, I believe, if memory serves, they're like fourth. Am I right? They're undefeated, and if they win, they're in. Yeah, can, like, you know, actually, this, this Saturday third, against actually. Kansas State. Oh, they're third. Which, okay. USC is fourth, so it's awesome there. So here's a guy I put on Twitter. I'm like, I know what Eric Harper wants. He wants the guys Division One FBS head coach experience. Gary Patterson went twenty three and twenty four over the prior four years. Sonny Dykes, who's been on the block coaching many places, has this team undefeated, beating a Big Twelve, which is not the best conference overall. But there's a lot of really good teams, and it's very it's like the Pac twelve. It's hard to go undefeated in that conference because there's a lot of really good above average to above above average to really good teams. Like mm-hmm. Texas has gotten better. Kansas has gotten better. There's some good teams at conference. Texas Tech always gets somebody, even OU down. They're still reasonably good enough. It's just a tough conference because they're all good enough to beat each other. So he couldn't get that done. He he pulls Kyle Whitty, pulls a Kyle Whittingham at Utah, which Whittingham has finally changed a bit. If you're good, you're playing defense. That's all he would do. But he also ultimately, Matt, pulled a, a, a Gary Anderson. I'm quitting. He doesn't like NIL. He doesn't like to recruit. He doesn't like player movement, transfer portal. He's an not super old guy, but he's a curmudgeon of a guy. I remember back in the day, a long time ago, when our website was probably, I don't even know where it was. It could have been on WordPress before I even knew you. Like when Casey Patchell got pissy at somebody, me or somebody else about saying he's not the starting quarterback, got really mad about something. Like over dramatically mm-hmm. mad about something so stupid. I think when, is when it, I think the end result was dumb because Andy Dalton versus Casey Patchell because Postal or Patch or whatever was like a high level recruit is before Andy Dalton got really good back in like the Rose Bowl, right before the Rose Bowl, maybe Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. But he gave up on a team and look how good they are this year with the same players. He somebody put like I can't tell. I made the joke because you remember you're familiar with John Robinson, correct? US former USC yes. fame coach. So USC, UNLV brought in John Robinson. Like also like John Robinson, I'm like, is I I legitimately at the legitimately asked. Not tongue in cheek, maybe a little, maybe a little bit. I'm like, I don't know if that's is that a good thing or a bad thing you're saying, right? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> Robinson took him to a bowl game, but still, it's like, why do you want? What makes him attractive besides what he's done years and years ago? He's kind yeah, of yeah, and coach. honestly, I he is. It, I've I've been sort of perusing other lists that have been put out there. Like I was I was reading the. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was like technically an opinion article from Sam Gordon over at the Las Vegas Review Journal, but I was also looking at the, this list of potential candidates that was put forth by Bill Eichenberger over there at the Review Journal too. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these names have in common that they, at least as far as you know, what we talked about in the last podcast about guys who have had head coaching experience. All of the names on this list have not had particularly good recent head coaching experiences. I haven't checked. Well, I've been looking at more national stuff. What are the local, what are they putting out there? Okay. So, so Sam Gordon, I mean, he didn't really go into detail. He was just sort of putting into context how 
you know, Eric Harper's under pressure to like you know, find a guy who's going to help you and I'll be win quickly. But you know, what some of the names that were mentioned, um, okay. You, so you mentioned Gary Patterson. Uh, I know I joked about Brian Harson on the last podcast, but he's on this list. Um, and then you have he can, two, he guys, two guys who were combined 20 games under 500 at Arizona during their stints there, Kevin Sumlin and Mike Stoops. Mike Stoops is at Kentucky linebackers coach, I believe with his brother, mm-hmm. um, Kevin Sumlin, he had moments, but he flamed out at Texas A&M and is flamed out at Arizona the past couple of years. He would be a name where I wouldn't be opposed to it because his offense he ran were reasonably exciting when they worked well, but they didn't work well enough for to obviously stay at two jobs. Yeah, and I mean, it's, you know, Scott Frost is on this list too, but oh. what, like Scott Frost doesn't have any experience out west. In, out, out west i mean he was he was a wide receivers coach in an oc at oregon for a time that's right he okay he does a little bit that's right so I what just, do you I ucf just, should not be understated like that's really really good but i don't know like i see these names like bruce Feldman's very connected and I'm, i put a tweet there, this guy and i'm like i didn't respond I'm like you're a dummy he's like a couple of byu guys former byu guys and i'm like you don't want ed lamb he's old and he's not a no Bronco Mendenhall won't like Las Vegas. No, it's like, come on. And then because Bruce Mellon put out guys who could be considered, but they made seem like, oh, these guys are like big C, big considered. I'm like, no, they're not. Bronco hmm. Mendenhall's not going to UNLV. I'm like, I still like Troy Taylor, even though I mentioned before in the podcast, who's Utah's OC, way over his head. Couldn't handle it. Too big of a job if for you, him. But you, now you know there. what though? If you've watched the Hornets over the last couple of years, no, I think he's figured something. <laughs> I think you're too well, what I was, no, I was getting there. No, I'm getting there. I'm like, he went to a job that was more responsibility because your head coach. No, I'm that's like getting to he figured it out and done well. So maybe that was a good learning experience to move on from Utah's OC to be a Sac State head coach. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they're doing, but Gary Patterson's like, oh, it's a name. It's like I put it on Twitter too. Like, what coach are you getting? Because if he wants FBS experience. Like this sounds disrespectful, you don't know, but it's fact. They're historically not recently, but they are bottom night. Like, there's 131 teams FBS historically, or the past century, past 20 cent years. They're what 120 and maybe bottom 10, bottom 15 program. Is that being too harsh? No. Okay. So, what coach are you getting here that wants to take over that job that has this experience looking for? And so I get they played Allegiant Stadium. Okay, cool. They have lots of facilities brought up good. There's some improvement. But like, what coach are you going to get to come in that? You're not getting a good Sunbelt coach to come over, right? That's not happening. Not unless, I mean, if you're ponying up, you can probably get a lot of people to come over. Unless for Furtada guy still really interested. Like, we should ask our buddy Chris Andres, who did stuff years ago and still wrote the best article ever on our website about the Mountain West going with National Geographic for a TV deal because of scenery, which is still mm-hmm. amazing. <laughs> but, like, what would he say? He's like, I just want a bowl game. I'm pretty sure that's what he would say. It's like, what are you guys doing? It's like, unless Furtada's really going to pony up and pull what he did at University of Houston, I don't know if he's going to double dip and do two things. Because I mentioned last time he brought in Dana Holgerson for a pretty good pay. To a group of five now getting to a Big 12 invite. Like, I don't know. These names are, I still think Troy Taylor will be the guy. He makes the most sense. But if you want to vision, like he said, Division One, so that could technically be FCS, but the Gary Patterson thing's just dumb. It's going to set them back in a couple of years. 
He doesn't care. I have a feeling we're team. gonna we're gonna learn pretty quickly one way or the other, though. What do you like? What do you like? What what where are you leaning on this? Because I like Tay, like Jay Hill. I just don't think they're gonna get a sitting. I know Patterson's not, but there's also reasons that we can't divulge to. Like I'll put it this way, Gary Patterson. Okay, how can we put this, Matt? Because I, I have information that we both have received, but he's not coming to a. He's not going to UNLV. There's zero mm-hmm. chance UNLV. I will say that right here. He, if he's head coach, I'll eat a shoe. I'm just saying. Don't say that. You're going to get old ticks exposed. I I know Fred. I have his phone <laughs> number. I could tell Fred not to post this. No. Okay. <laughs> um, who's your pick? Real quick. Do you have a pick? Really quick before we get to the, the reason. People are really here for the podcast as we're delaying 35 minutes. I mean, I, I honestly don't because like I look at the names, but I but I don't know what UNLV's priorities really are. Like it's one thing to have a checklist, but it's how you know, and I and I think about how like you know, some programs, and I'm thinking particularly about like Fresno State, who prioritize people with ties to the program, you know, which is why they were so invested in bringing Jeff Tedford back and then you know, surrounding him with other guys on the coaching staff who also coached and played at Fresno State in the past, but UNLV doesn't have that same kind of cachet. Like, you know, if you, you know, if you go to their roster pages, their coaching pages from like the last decade or so, and you look at the guys who have been position coaches, coordinators and all that, like they aren't really coaching anywhere anymore. So, yeah. You know, so like for for instance, like what what is to stop you and LV? Like nobody's talking about it, but like what if they wanted to pony up to I don't know, bring back Clay Hayden, Clay Helton from Georgia Southern or something like that? That's um, a possibility. He turned them around. He took them from a triple option team. Are they bowl eligible? They make a bowl game. Georgia they Southern? are six and six. They're one maybe of the ten, most maybe, high no, profile. Uh, one of the most Nebraska. high profile passing offenses in the country. You know what they were in last year? A freaking triple option. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, Joseph Acosta over at SB Nation mentioned Derek Mason, uh, former uh, Vanderbilt head coach, current DC at Oklahoma State. Um, you know, if you're if you're looking for a sitting head coach, if you wanted to really poach someone from the Sun Belt and make waves, why not Podio? I don't know. Can they afford Jamie Chadwell? From Coastal Carolina? I mean, I'm just throwing things out there. I honestly have Come no on. idea what you is going to do. Dude, you listen to Split Zone. He's going to South Florida. Come on. <laughs> oh, are you, oh, really? Think so? <laughs> you not listen to the most recent one? Yeah. See, I have not heard with... that one yet. He, I guess uh, I guess that's another excuse to uh, to to pitch that to everybody on pay, Patreon so they can also hear that. Definitely. I'm trying to see. Uh, that was done today. So you must not have listened to today's podcast. Yeah. Where they basically yet. rant on former Fresno State quarterback Trent Dilfer being a head coach of UAB now. Oh, boy. That was a thing. <laughs> that you uh um i also like um really quick i mentioned because this he is also connected to utep um brendan marion but he could he's at texas right now but they're talking to him maybe utep down the road or texas state actually for spavadol maybe maybe they could do something like what what uab did today did you hear about that trent dilfer trent dilfer no no that's no, you I'm need to listen to like something like they, no, they, they no, did. no 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 nothing like that listen listen to split okay, zone. I, reason will. Why I will i will Here's what I'll give you a sneak peek. I'm not gonna give it away. That job has been open since the summer, and this is that's what they did. It's been open since June, essentially. Just saying that's what they end up with. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so there's that to consider. All right, Todd, we need to get what people want, correct? Is this the time? We yeah, let's to, let's go ahead and no, let's not delay any longer. <laughs> 40 minutes in. This we're a terrible podcast. 
2022 Mountain West football preview championship game. And this could be another 30 minutes. TBD. We'll see how that goes because we talk a lot. Um, Fresno State traveling to Boise State, who has sold approximately 20,000 tickets. Could do a better job of giveaways if you see what BJ Rain says on Twitter because you can't give away tickets unless you're like an official sponsor, which is lame. Mm-hmm. 2 p.m. local time, 1 p.m. Pacific, Big Fox. Let me ask you this. Are you a fan of Petros Papadakis at all? Like Petros? He's all right. He's all right. I think he's an acquired taste. You have him. Also, Tim Brando's in the booth, too. So I'm like, I don't know. I think Petros is doing sideline work for this one. But I listen to Petros and Money occasionally out in L.A. just because he's a, it's a weird sports show. He's a, he's just an acquired taste. But he's on the he's part of the crew this weekend. Boise State, is it still a three-and-a-half-point line? I haven't checked since this morning. Uh, I have not looked either. Okay, maybe I'll check now real quick as we're going through this. But it's a uh, see again. We're a terrible podcast. I have too many tabs open, and we're doing a million things this week. With thanks UNLV, thanks Harper for making these moves. Um, actually, it's it down to the, the, the line is three, three. I in our projections at our staff done is three point five. So be minded that, and that, and now it's also okay. gone up from fifty to fifty four over under. Good weather, late afternoon. You know this is going head to head against the SEC title game on CB on another <laughs> oh, channel. Oh boy. What's what's gonna well, be a better I mean, game? George be more competitive than the SEC title game. I'll tell you that. Yeah, because LSU got their butt kicked by freaking Texas A&M last weekend. I got video from my brother to prove it. He was there. I'm like, good for you for your Aggies yeah. getting a win for once. But yeah, I think this will be the better game, more competitive game. I I could contend more points for this game possibly because George likes to screw around a little bit. So where do you want to start in this game? I guess we'll do this, Matt. We'll as I ask you a question and take over. Forty to twenty was the result last time when Boise State beat Fresno State. Should be noted, there was, um, you know, this one guy who likes to throw the ball pretty good, Jay Kane or not, in lineup at Logan Fife at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also one of Taylor Green's early games taking over for Hank Bachmeyer, I think a couple games in. But actually, let me go back one step further on this. I'll let you interject here. How surprised are you that these teams are here when Fresno had a four-game losing streak, including one to UConn, and Boise lost to UTEP? I mean, it's funny how fast things can change, right? Exactly. So it is. I mean, it is kind of a mild surprise because a lot of fans on on both sidelines, um, both fan bases, were, had had more or less left this both of these teams for dead after the end of September. You know, because at that point, uh, you know, on October first, like you mentioned, the Bulldogs had lost to UConn. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the Broncos had come off a win uh, against San Diego State, but that was a, just one week after, you know, Hank Bachmeyer left the program. They got rid of, uh, you know, Tim Plow, an off- offensive coordinator, because they had just put up a dismal performance against UTEP the week prior. Mm-hmm. And it really did take them a little bit of time to find their footing. But I think that, that Fresno State game in particular was sort of like their, their what you might call their throat clearing where they, you know, seems to really hit upon, you know, the formula that, that was going to take them the rest of the way, which is where I think it's it's worth noting that that was the first and only time this year that George Halani and Ashton Genty both ran for over 100 yards. They did. They, and Halani averaged 9.2 yards per carry. Yeah, between the two of them, and this is something I wrote in an article uh, that came out yesterday, so you're more than welcome to look at it, mwr.com. Between the two of them, they averaged over six yards a carry in that game. Yeah, that 
was that was the I mean I believe that was the worst run defense performance that Fresno State has had all season long. So yeah, I think if you're you're looking for one point to start talking about this game, I think it is worth noting that you know Fresno State was still dealing with some injuries in the front seven at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, Gabriel Light, but I think was was dealing with some injury. Um you know, Isaiah Johnson missed a couple of games. He missed the Boise State the first time, the Boise State game the first time around. And while you know Boise State definitely had their way on the whole, like the Bulldogs only had three tackles for loss in that first matchup as well. I think if you're looking for an advantage, I I, I mean it seems pretty easy to say that the Broncos still have that advantage in terms of like you know the offensive line, which has you know, they've, they've done some shuffling down the stretch, but they've continued. I mean, they've been pretty good regardless. Like the running game hasn't lost mm-hmm. any of its efficacy, you know, despite, you know, moving guys like Wolf around, like, you know, he started, you know, four or five games in the middle of the year at center, for instance, when uh, Kakani Okoa, Holomalia Gonzalez was, was gone with injury, but now KHG is back. Farrar has been starting at left guard. You know, they just got Ben Dooley back into the lineup in the last couple of weeks. Um, I think if, I think if if I'm looking at this correctly, the only guy that has started every single game this year is John Ojukwu, the left tackle. But Makes they've been opening sense. running yeah. lanes consistently, basically since they made the quarterback in the OC switch, and so that is where I start looking at this game to say, well, if if Boise State's going to come away with another championship, I think it's going to start up front with that excellent offensive line and that excellent ground game where. You know, it's it's top twenty-five in terms of pass protection. They've only allowed a sack rate of four percent. Their stuff rates in the top twenty as well, only fourteen point three percent. Their power success rate's twenty-fourth. Their opportunity rate is twenty-fourth. Which is not to say that like Fresno State can't step up and and do it, and 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 make stops more consistently. But I think you know, going back to to what we talked about on the preview, or excuse me, on the recap podcast a few days ago. I think one of the big tasks for this Bulldogs defense is generating more havoc. And one of the big questions in this game is how healthy is David Perales going to be actually? Yeah, that's, because, a, that's a big thing, consider, thing to consider. Like if he's out there and he's not getting this four sack games, like he had one time or five sack game that yeah. like, it's, it's going to be a concern. Cause it's, he, he's one of the, like we mentioned what an hour ago in the podcast, some point that he's one of the best defenders in the league. He only played what eight games this season, but when he's out there, yeah, he's like, a force and arguably the best player in the field when he's out there. Yeah, like let's put it this way: like the the Fresno State's own stuff rate on defense is it it's fine. It's like right around the middle of the pack, 59th in the country, eighteen point six percent. If you prefer raw numbers, consider that the Bulldogs have seventy tackles for loss as a team, and Perales has 15 of them by himself. So for those of you who don't like doing math, that's more than <laughs> one in five, about 21% of their TFLs. And, and oh, by the way, he also has, you know, 10 and a half of the team's 24 sacks as well. Nobody else on the team has more than two sacks. What's also so with those he, numbers? What, so he needs to be out he's there. he's limited, or worse, if he can't play... That is a massive deal for the Bulldogs defense, which is not to say, and again, which is not to say that other guys could not step up. You know, they've gotten, you know, 
good, solid contributions from other guys on the defensive line down the stretch. You know, Johnny Hudson Jr., who I, I, I'm almost certain that I mentioned him in passing uh, during our, our preview podcast over the summer. But, you know, he finished the year with five TFLs. Debo Bridges finished strong down the stretch. He had four and a half tackles for loss. So, like, they have some guys on the interior who can step up and make a play every so often. But they absolutely do not have a playmaker on the level of Paralysis if he's slowed or unavailable. If he's out there, they'll have to account for him. So I don't think yeah. it'd be, it would not be smart for Boise State. Like, oh, he's out there. We know he's been banged up. Well, we'll just do one-on-one coverage or he's not. A, that would be a mistake because what if he is really healthy? What if he gets his adrenaline or whatever and just makes a couple big plays and you're like, oh, crap, maybe we should have done the earlier. It's too late. But also with him playing or the pressure is you put in your seven sets. So the big zero is interceptions, which is not many That's by right. Jake Hayner or Taylor Green to pass the month was his, he had zero number of interceptions at Fresno State quarterback Jake Hayner has thrown in for, thrown in four November games, just one of seven. However, one of those other seven, Taylor Green. <laughs> so yeah, he has it was, ten, it was, ten for zero. It was Jake Tust from. Uh... From KTVB, who pointed out that Green is the only quarterback in the country with ten passing touchdowns and zero game, zero picks in the last five games. Yes, if you want stats from Boise State, Jay Test is your guy. He does a very good job at doing that, getting those out there. But so, but, but if that, but it, you know, you you talk about one thing, but it sort of ping pongs to any number of other things because at the same time, you know, the, another thing that I mentioned in that statistics column is like you know, even despite the injuries that both teams have had throughout this year. You know, I, I, you know, we mentioned Tyreek Jones getting carted off the field uh, during last week's win against Utah state. You know, there, there has been video of him practicing yesterday as we record this. So I would imagine that he will probably be, be good to go to see some action at least. Um, But, you know, other guys like, you know, Evan Williams was out for part of the year. Uh, Braylon Lux was knocked out for the season a few weeks ago, despite all that. Both teams, both Fresno State and Boise State, are still only allowing 6.4 yards per attempt, both of which were the best figure in the conference. Both teams are one and two in opponents' passer rating. So, you know, it's it's one thing to point out that both Hayner and Green have been able to take care of the football down the stretch. Like, that's all well and good. But it may also be true like Jordan I, Mims I don't get know. a lot of Would, short pass swing lower a lot of Jordan Mins swing passes perhaps you're saying <laughs> is that is that what we're saying here underneath stuff no no no, no okay no teams? let me let me pose this question to you okay you know Taylor Green has faced Fresno State's defense once mm-hmm. right so but but does this iteration of this defense with with Evan Williams you know back in tow you know Cameron Lockridge is in the starting lineup now in place of Lux um you know they're they're started you know incorporating other guys into the secondary um is uh, carlton johnson for instance started his first game last week against wyoming i think he had a big play or two in that one is this the best defense that Taylor green has faced since the first time he faced this fresno state defense when it was more limited uh, and they faced san diego state the week before correct uh yes uh they played in, wyoming. in, in what was his first start at the time True. They played Wyoming since then. They played Wyoming. They've also played at Air Force. Fully healthy? I'd give the answer to Fresno, but 
not not huge. Because Air Force they went nineteen to fourteen. They were weren't they shut out in the second half in that game? Uh, yeah, I that? mean it, it was definitely tough sledding for both sides on that team on that game. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's up there. It's fully healthy. I mean, I, th- I think there's there's there's, there's a reasonable case to be made that the answer is either yeah. yes or no. It's like close. my main point, my main point is that they Fresno State in particular, like we, like we knew Boise State's defense was going to be good. Fresno State's defense was looking shaky as well, especially in the middle part of that year, mm-hmm. and they have rebounded nicely to make you think that you know that Taylor Green may not have it as easy as he has had it against other opponents in the second half of the year. Here's a good thing. If you're Fresno State, it's a good thing. You have players more healthy, players who didn't play that game. Taylor Green, freshman young guy, the coaches have seen him before. He has not seen these other players who didn't play in the field personally, up close, like actually physically seeing them play out there. He has not seen Evan Williams, these other players out there. And young guys, it's like in your baseball guys, like, oh, this guy comes up from double A, goes his first four starts, first three starts are three and one. And like a 2.1 ERA, but he finished mm. year like five and nine because, oh, we see him again. We know what to do. Not yeah. saying it's the point here for Fresno's defense and Taylor Green, but there's a little element to both sides, not just saying against Taylor Green, but he's a younger guy. Freshman played extremely well throughout the year. Like he, he's protecting the ball. Well, that's probably what Dirk Cutter's doing because he runs on his feet as well a little bit. He can move the pocket himself. But I think that gives Fresno an edge where they've seen him before and players back on the field who weren't there the first time. So I think that's it kind of it can go both ways a little bit. But as a defensive question, I'd say it's here's why it's a different defense too with those players back. That makes a different look for what they're seeing. Also, yeah. Okay, let's go back to the quarterback spot because I like offense and whatnot. But honestly, I know you're fresh like that, but who do you trust to win you a game? There's no way I'm putting Taylor Green to tr- put the ball in his hands to win me the game. Like if it's if it's down to who are we going on one drive, score the score the points, throwing the ball. It's Jake Kaner by a mile for me. Just because we haven't seen Taylor Green do it yet doesn't mean that he can. Because okay, let's not forget. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Air Force nineteen to fourteen. They got shut out in the second half, buddy. That I mean, that it, wasn't his fault though. He wasn't he wasn't making mistakes in that game to give the game away. But did he make plays? Put up points? They settled for how many field goals in that game? So think I know about, Fresno think set up for field goals as well. Think about the BYU game. Then they didn't. They didn't win that game. But he did a lot of heavy lifting to put them in a position to win that game. Down the stretch. You're not wrong, but I still trust Jake Kaner. Has been there before. He's. I remember last year in the Rose Bowl, he beat up on UCLA, taking the rib shots. I'd, I'd have more faith in a guy who's been there before and been to these type of bigger games. This is not to say Green can't have the game and do it. But from what we know, what we've seen, he's a very fine, a well above average quarterback. But he's still a freshman. Wasn't considered one of the top two quarterbacks in the conference. Javon Cordero got a second team. I'm just saying, if you if you're giving me the guy who wants to, the best chance to win, I give it to the experienced guy who's done it before. Green might go, but here's the look at not just raw numbers, but Green again, he's protective of the ball which is a very, 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 very important aspect if you're going to win mm-hmm. games. Jake, or no, excuse me, sorry, Dirk Cutter, he's done a, a very smart OC when he was with NFL, been Broncos before his head coach. He's doing quite well with what 
with what with with yeah with what he has running the ball with green or on the pockets not passing the ball he's 12 to 4 interception ratio to interceptions qb rating is like number three in the conference i believe if my math's right in here technically two by eligible players which does not include jay kaner for a number of stats or a number of uh, snaps i should say or throws he's also only throwing the ball 19 times a game not not they're basically my, what i'm getting at they're not going to win by slinging the ball if if tailing if Green telling guys throw the ball 25 times, they're not winning this game. 28 times, they're not winning this game. There's a problem if he's throwing 25 times in this matchup. He's only you he's, say that you but say that. But I know. He's also throwing I know. the ball 25 times in two of his starts, and they won both of those games. I'm just saying, I would not. That's not where I'd want to be at. But but when he does throw more, so, like in okay, a so, game, so hold, hold, let me, let when me he has thrown a lot. Because, it goes down a little bit. Like the Wyoming game, he threw a lot. Eh, not not the best of the game. Just Let me narrow that focus then just a little bit. Okay. Because I think the the one thing that's going to be key in this game, and this is true for, for both offenses, is how well are they going to do on first downs in particular? Yeah, we talked because about one this. Of the, yes. Because one of the things that both of these teams have in common and this is credit to to Parker Fleming at Stats of War on Twitter and his advanced stats preview. Both of these teams have been excellent in terms of preventing teams from moving the chains on early downs. So he has this metric of you know percentage of first downs earned on first or second down. On defense, Boise State is ninth in the country, allowing just sixty two point one eight percent of opponent of opponents first downs. Fresno State is sixth by that same measure, 61.71. So one thing that I look for in that I would look for in this game is on the one hand, you know, you have to imagine that that Jeff Tedburn and offensive coordinator Kirby Moore are going to let Jake Hayner operate. You know, they're gonna let him come out swinging because he's been maybe the best first down quarterback in the conference this year. He's completed about 70% of his throws, 69.2, over 1,000 yards per. He's averaging, I'm going to do some quick math real quick. Uh, I want to say 8.7 yards per attempt on first downs. Uh, passer rating of 150 per year. Like, he's been good. You know, he had, I think, a couple of interceptions on first down against San Diego State. But other than that, like, when they've asked him to, you know, make a play on early downs... More often yeah. than not, he's been the guy to do it. True. By contrast, mm-hmm. while Green has been excellent on the aggregate, the interesting thing is that first down has actually been his worst down as a starter, which you know that that comes with its own handful of, of context that's required. When I say worst, like he's still completing like slightly under sixty percent of his throws, um, fifty nine point seven to be more exact. Um, and he and he does have you know two touchdowns and two interceptions, but I think he's only averaging seven point five yards per attempt, which I think compared to what he's averaged on the year, eight point two. You know that I mean honestly though that may be a moot point if Boise State is going to be more inclined to to lean on Halani and Genty anyway, because you're still talking about a team with a rush rate ex- over expected ratio of the, you know on average they're running the ball five percent more often um, than than an average team would. So, considering how well both of those running backs have done on first down, that might be a 
sort of a moot point. But I think it goes back to your sort of hypothetical scenario. Like what happens if I'm going to say, for example, Boise State comes out. It's their first drive after halftime. They're down by 10. Yeah. What does their play calling look like? Is the first play of the is the first play of the half a run? Or do they give Taylor Green a chance to maybe go off a play action and connect for a big play to get momentum going that way? You know, it's it's those little things that I think could make a monumental difference in this game. One thing I should note when I was doing research, I did not, I trusted CFB stats too much, Matt. Those, I should have looked at more per game. They they included the two games where we had zero pass attempts, but entered the game. And so that's my bad on that. So my air for not going as super where I needed to be. But you're right. Like, like kind of goes back to my point Air Force game. Like they sell for field goals. They didn't go out and score points. So plus Stephen Cobbs, his health is up in the air. He didn't play mm-hmm. for Utah State. Because when we look at these type of things, like when you look at position groups, it's one of the articles we're going to put out there. I put on the um, to our staff, like, hey, who position group edge? Most of the offense outside of running back, even though it's pretty close, and offensive line, I guess. Well, if, if I'm looking at who who has the edge, I would say Boise or Boise was not would not. Sorry, lean, let me rephrase that. Fresno has the edge of quarterback, in my opinion. I don't think that's too far fetched to say. Running back, Boise has the depth with their two running backs there with Alani Genty. More, but Mims is obviously very capable. When you go start in the starter, it's closer, but depth wise, I would lean toward Boise. Um, Fresno has a better receiving group, I would say. Boise's offensive lines come together better, I think, a little bit. So it's gonna it's offense, it's gonna be interesting what Boise can do because we mentioned Fresno's defense. Fine, but not amazing. Like if Paralysis doesn't play, that's a big issue, like you mentioned. But if Evan Williams who's back, they have other players. Okay. Uh, Cam Lockridge so, is so, out there too. So it's it's gonna be I interesting. Under- it's gonna be close. I do understand sort of like the common narrative. I do wonder if maybe we're underrating Boise State's wide receivers just a little bit at this point. Because well, is when, it the receivers compare- or the play calling? You know what I mean? Like, what is? Is it because we met with Tyler Shavers with San Diego State? Is it opportunity or is it they? We here's what I will say: they don't have like a, a stud. They don't have a Kalisha Care out there. Or other guys have had in the past. But why do you think we're possibly underrating that group? Because this team is not offensive oriented, or excuse me, passing oriented to win games. That's not their main objective. Not necessarily. But but I think you it's it's very easy to make the argument that like when they've needed a big pass play they've gotten it. Both of these True. teams in conference play have the exact same number of twenty yard pass plays. They which which by the way that number that number is thirty. Both of which were tied for second in the Mountain West. I think if you narrow the fo- like if if you if you separate the season as best as you can between non conference and conference play it becomes a little easier to see that like, while they, they don't have like that all conference type guy in, in the group, mm-hmm. you know, the, the guys that they have had, you know, throughout conference play have played really well. Like, you know, if it hasn't been one guy stepping up to make a play, it's been another like Billy Bowens, for instance, only has 21 catches in conference play, but he averaged almost 18 and a half yards per catch. Now he's making play. And yeah. And he was one of just six six players in the conference to have four touchdowns in Mountain West play, at least. You know, same thing with you know Stephen Cobbs. Like we mentioned, like he didn't play last week, but on the whole, I'm trying I'm trying to 
I'm trying to last but you know, he had only 14 catches in conference play, but he averaged over 17 yards a catch. You know, Latrell Caples, 24 catches, 255 yards, three touchdowns. And and that's not even getting into like a guy like Eric McAllister, who's really come on strong over the last couple of weeks in particular. You know, he made his first start last week. He had a couple of touchdowns. You know, I've had my eye on him for a couple of years now. Yeah. And he's he has looked over the last couple of weeks like exactly the kind of big play receiver that Boise State has been churning out for a decade now, <laughs> at least. So, you know, it, it's when we talk about, you know, one thing sort of leading to another, like, yeah, it it, it is true that Fresno State's secondary, you know, even despite the injuries, you know, Cam Blockridge, Evan Williams, Kale Sanders, guys like that. Any of them could make Taylor Green pay for an air pass. But it is also true that these wide receivers could get the better of the secondary more often than not. And that leads to like an, another angle in this game that I think is going to be very crucial for both sides. It's actually something that I'm sort of wondering whether team, whether either team is going to have an advantage. That's in the pass rush. Because we talked about Perales in particular earlier. But one thing that I didn't realize until I was doing research for this game is that neither team has had an especially strong pass rush down the stretch. Between the two sides, they have they had 11 combined sacks in November. That was okay. the fewest in the conference, last and second to last. And I wonder... You know, not only with regards to Perales and his his you know current day to day injury, but we know that the Broncos, for instance, have been in recent weeks without Ezekiel Noah. They've been without Dimitri Washington. George Tarlis is out for the year. Ahmad Hassanine got banged up last week. You know, Divine Obituary, I believe, also got banged up last week. So, you know, they're they've really been tested up front. Their depth where. And to their credit, you know, the guys who have stepped up into those positions, guys like Gabe Hunter, Andrew Simpson, guys like that, they've they've answered the bell and, and remained well more than competent, I would say. But it's it's one of those things where like if neither side is able to generate a lot of havoc, then I think you know, to your point, yeah, Hainer on paper might have the advantage over Green. But I think both these quarterbacks have the talent both within themselves and and around them at the skill positions to turn this game into a track meet in the same way that it wasn't in the first time around. I think there's potential because when you look at, again, defense the Boise played, especially when Green played, they post UTEP, which would cut off line, the cutter line, essentially when to go that that name. They put up a lot against a, an okay San Diego State defense. Good. Like, they're not what they were, but they're still really good. They obviously put a bunch of support for us. Another toughest matchup was the Wyoming and Air Force game. And Fresno's defense, even what I said earlier, that I still I still don't think they're white in that neighborhood. Could be with guys coming back. But I picked the over in this game just because I think Fresno will break through. They scored 20 points with Logan Fife. Like, that's fine, whatever. But I do think there is potential, like the things you've been mentioning going over, to why – if Boise needs a play, if it's 39, they get a 20-yard pass to Cobbs or somebody else on this team or Lonnie breaks off a big run for score points. The, both both these teams, like, they're not perfect, clearly. They've lost to bad teams on the year. Boise is undefeated at home, 8-0 in conference. Fresno 7-1 in conference, only lost game against the Broncos. There are 
reasons to believe, as you stated, like why there could be a lot of points. I would put, I'd lean toward Fresno State scoring more points at Boise State. I get, I just trust their offense more for more big play players on their team. I think overall, especially in the passing game, even though the quantity is not there for receiving group for Boise State because Taylor Green throws enough. And I'm my air mentioned earlier, but his completion percentage rate is fine. But it's going to come down to like, if it's good, the reason going to become to track me potentially is because both offensive lines figure stuff out and aren't getting aren't a lot of pressure. Like if I'm not sure no no is going to play like Prowse all their status are they going to come out and be fully healthy and playing? Can they make a move if they're out there? I again late in the year everybody's hurt and injured. It kind of depends where you define that by and how well you can play. But like the secondary Fresno's got some players out there. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I, I I'm going to go on a limb. Green's gonna throw an interception in this game. I think it's gonna happen. Like he's ten to zero the past what month or something. He's gonna there's gonna be an interception in this game. Both guys get throw at least at least one interception. I'm guessing that would not shock me for the way these guys play both both teams and players. Green's more protective with the ball, and Dirk Cutter's gonna put him in a good spot where it doesn't happen. But there's gonna be an interception by both players. I don't see why that'd be the case. Like could there be a defensive touchdown leaning toward no? But those are kind of fluky and hard to define. But I do think well, this okay. will have the same amount of points, but different results. About 60 points seems right to me combined. Well, and you know, the other thing that I think has escaped a lot of attention this year, um, let's not forget that this Boise State defense plummets Tainer last year at Valley Children's Stadium, no last. I forget what happened. What, what happened last year? I'm trying to recall. Uh, well, last year was a 26 point blowout in favor oh, of Boise the, oh, State. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. Okay. Well, you know, Hainer, Hainer was not sharp in that game. Of course, there was like the the uh, the sh- the should have been pass interference call, or yeah, uh, from the drawn plan, the the pick six that was erased. But you know, even despite all that, like that's just one thing. Like Boise State very clearly had the upper hand in that contest, mm-hmm. and you know, the, the, so like it's it's very easy to say like yeah Hainer will have the upper hand and, and they should be much more competitive this time around one thing i've got my eye on though and i'm just going to go back to, to parker fleming's advanced stats preview for a second boise state is now number one in terms of defensive success rate against the pass in particular number one in the country again for 27.8 percent success rate is this for conference player the whole season the entire season. And I wish I, I wish I could ask him for a split between what had what you know Fresno State's offensive success rate in the past was on the season. So this is including both Hayner and Logan Fife's month as a starter. Bulldogs are 28. I would wager a guess that if you took out those four games that Hayner missed, that they would be higher. Yes. <laughs> but it would it would also be like a very clearly a strength on strength matchup. And and we said the same thing last year. And Boise State gave him fits. Yeah. That's good points. I, I just this teams are I throw out the last game because of Jake Hater not playing. It doesn't matter to me. But la, not but last year does because of what you just mentioned, I forgot that disparity, the blowout. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man. It's Plus, you also have a uh, well, coaching just a matter of Tefford over DeBoer. So it's like, well, what you know what I mean? What are you going to do there? Uh, mm-hmm. What else? Like, we've gone through a bunch. Anything else to get to about this game? I 
man, you're making some good points for Boise State to win here, buddy. I'm just saying, like there, there They're are good, a though. lot of reasons. There are a lot of reasons to think that both teams could win this game. It's going to be hotly contested. And, like and I mean, if we're, this if we're, is the if we're, fourth, third time they played. Remember, they both times they 20, played. 2014, 2017, 2018, 2022. Oh, that's right, fourth time. What was the snow game where the uh, two point conversion had won for for? for that was the snow? most recent one in 2018. 2018. In 2017, was Jeremy McNichols just blood bulldozing them? Or no, no, Alexander Madison, excuse me, with the hey, yeah, you'll get 12 carries in the fourth quarter because you don't play all, all the game because we have other good backs with safety. Yeah. I remember that just body blown gut punch, jab, 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 then the uppercut in the fourth quarter. Oh my goodness. Uh, also, this is a freaking rivalry game, too. Do, do, do you think Boy State fans treat this as rivalry? I mean, I think a good every, portion of them do. Because historically, it's always gone Boise State's way. Back with David Carr, Derek Carr, all these guys, like all these, all these uh, trying to get other big time plays. But we remember they come to Fresno, they get their butt kicked. Fresno's kind of extinguished those to to a degree. But let me let's let's wrap up on this. Who's your my who's your key player who's going to make a big difference for a reason why either team will win. Okay. No. Okay. Are we talking to offense or defense or both? We can do both, either, or just one guy. Who's like? Who's like a key player? Like, if this guy does this, they're gonna win. I think Jordan Mims has to have a big game. I agree with you as well. That's why I was leaning to you for Fresno's offense. Because I th- because I think for for as much attention as Hainer is going to get, and as much as they're they're likely to lean on the passing game. You know, they've been at their most successful when Mims has been on his game. Like I'm just if you look at you know his contributions in in the, the eight wins that Fresno State has had, he's averaged over five yards a carry and he's had eleven of his 14 touchdowns. In the three losses, you know, he's been a little quieter. Uh, like he, he's been he gets the same workload, but he only averages 4.6 yards per carry and only had three touchdowns in those in those four losses. So mm-hmm. It's, I think, something that that bears in mind, and he's been sort of up and down down the stretch. Like he had, you know, three hundred yard games in the last six contests, but in those other three games, he had seventy yards or fewer. You know, he had, you know, only. I mean, he scored three times against Wyoming. Let's put it that way. But he yeah. only averaged three point three yards per carry. You know, had a touchdown against UNLV before that uh, a couple weeks before, only averaged three point three yards per carry. Same thing against San Diego State. He had a touchdown, only 2.5 yards per carry. So I think that that would be my answer on, on Fresno State's side. Uh, I, I would agree with on, you. And also, last time they played 2.9 versus Boise State, 61 yards. On I mean, honestly, and, and for Fresno State's defense, I think they need to get a big play from one of their biggest players. And if, if, if Perales is limited, then I think it's probably going to come down to Evan Williams either creating a turnover, making a big third down stop or something like that. Because the last thing you want is for this. I was going to mention him too. Yeah. Because I think the last thing you want is for this Boise State offense to get ahead of momentum. Like if they have an opportunity to get them off the field, it's probably going to be on their most veteran players to to step up and make a play to keep them from staying there. I agree with you on Mims. I could go easy. I went Lockridge because he also has three interceptions and a pick six. Yeah, like Evan Williams might be better, but Lockridge. I'm like, I, I'm all, maybe I'd be a little bit different just because I'm going with a different guy, Lockridge. 
but he has interceptions. He, he's able to get a couple of TFLs back in there. He's had eight passes broken up. So I'm going to go with him just to be a little bit different because it may, it's not always the guy you think it's going to be. It's like, well, if they're going to shy away from Evan, well, you got another guy back there. Or, or it's like Prowse. If Prowse is out there playing well, maybe it's another another guy in that front seven going to make plays and get to the backfield. I'm actually picking Lockridge as my potential defensive MVP of the game as well. I'm going That's that fair. because it's just, yes, I'm being a little bit different, but like, why not? What's like, why be, I know you can go simple, but I'm like, it's, it's going to be, cause again, there's going to be a pick and that might be the guys could be the defensive MP, MVP will be a guy who gets like two TFLs or a couple sacks or a big interception mm-hmm. for Boise state. It's a little bit different. Like who the best player could be because we've, I've mentioned for going back to what last year, George Lani, if he, I, and again, I'm, Going to reiterate earlier, I think it was late last year. I said, I'm done saying he's good and, and until he proves it to me. Because remember last year, I said the same thing. Like, and even earlier this year, once he shows it to me, part of it's offensive line. It's not all him because if it's switching like it has every couple games, I think last year, their first half of the games, if not more, were a shuffling offensive line. He has proven it this year to be, you know, really good, which we already knew the talent was there, but it's just him. Like, is he going to, be that guy. He had another Oregon State game is we were a long time ago back in week one. But he's had every game 67 yards or more. Like he's five yards to carry all the touchdowns. When he plays pretty good defenses, he does well. Like versus Wyoming, he did good. He didn't do great versus BYU, which doesn't have a great defense. Last time versus Fresno, 157 yards. I could say him, and this isn't MVP type wise or best player on the team. It could be a receiver. It depends on Cobbs, but picking a receiver to be the guy is like kind of a, well, let me hope I can roll three on this dice. I'm trying out there. One of six options. I'm actually going to say Ashton Genty needs to have a big game. He's going to be the reason they're going to win this game because what happened last time? They both had what over hundred yards. Correct, Matt, both those guys. Yes, they did. So I'm going to lean on him to having to be, it's also pre includes Halani has to have a decent game as well. When I mean big game, I'm like, 75 yards, 80 yards, somewhere in that range. I'd say that's a big game because he has 616 on the year. And he trying to pull up his exact numbers, but five yards of carry gets he'll get he'll get his time, he'll get his touches in his game. But I think for them for Boise, if Boise is going to win, they're gonna need him to have an above average game. And for him, I would say he hit 100 yards last time, obviously versus Fresno. He hit 70 plus in three other games in New Mexico, Nevada, and Wyoming. So if he gets 80 yards, they're going to win this game. That's why I'm leaning. He needs to have a big game. If he gets not doesn't do well, that's clearly a problem. So that's makes sense. But I'm going – he's my offensive guy for Boise State. I think that Boise State has started to expect big things from Eric McAllister. Okay. Only 10 catches this year. But all one, all of them have come in the second half of the year. Okay. Ten touch, okay. ten catches, two hundred and thirty-five yards. Which, again, if you don't feel like doing math, it's twenty-three and a half yards per catch. I think that's good. Two touchdowns last week against Utah State. He has seen the field more often in the second half. I think you know he's the future of this receiving unit, and you know, this might be the stage for him to be the 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 wide receiver of the present, too. It could be. So I think, yeah. 
I think they're expecting him to continue stepping up. And I think that if he has a big game, uh, that could mean, you know, plenty of bad things for Fresno State. I think on defense, I'm going to go off the board a little bit because I think one of the one of the key guys in this game is one of their newer contributors, Andrew Simpson. You know, stepped up at weak side linebacker. He started the last three games once Ezekiel Noah was, uh, you know, lost with injury for a time. They had to move DJ Schramm from that weak side linebacker position to the middle linebacker position that Noah played. And Simpson has been one of those guys where we haven't really talked about him, but he's answered the bell. You know, three sacks in the last five games. You know, he's averaged, um, you know, he had five five tackles, five tackles, and 10 in the last three contests as well. Like, he's a guy who stepped up and made plays you know, when they needed him to, guys like him to step up into the breach. You know, going back to what we talked about earlier about a pass rush, you know, for as li- for as limited as it has been for the Broncos down the stretch, you know, he's been one of the biggest contributors for why it hasn't been non-existent. So, like, if they're using him as an attacking piece, you know, if he can get the better of, of you know, guys like, you know, Braylon Nelson and, and Jacob Spomer, Fresno State's offensive tackles, that's one of those one of those unsung heroes that Boise State always seems to have half a dozen of. And he's exactly the kind of guy who is in a position to make waves under the right circumstances. Can I go chalk and just say J.L. Skinner? As long as he doesn't get a targeting call in the game. <laughs> That's fair. I'm going secondary. These second these guys are gonna throw the ball. And I mentioned No, I totally understand that. Yeah. But the way the amount of times Hayner throws it, JL Skinner's gonna make a big big play. And it may not be their interception, but a defensive defended pass. Something. I I I think he's gonna come. He's a playmaker. He makes plays. I think he's gonna be a guy to come out and do something in this matchup. All right. He, all he does is, dude, I know only three pass breakups, but three interceptions. He's out there. Part of it, teams don't throw his way. And so it's like, okay, don't throw it his way, but okay, throw to the field. Half the field is taken away because you do not throw the ball to his side. But they're going to have to because with all receivers that Fresno has, mm-hmm. they're going to throw to anybody. They're not, they're not going to be scared to throw toward him because they feel their receivers are as good as the, the Boise secondary. Like there's no – they don't – I was gonna be confident, but they don't. They're not gonna shy away from throwing throwing toward his way, just because. Mm-hmm. He's there. So that's my pick. So let's wrap up here. What did the advanced numbers say about this matchup? So the advanced numbers, as you might suspect, predict a uh, a very close contest. Uh, SP plus does like Boise State though. Projected win probability of sixty one percent. Projected margin of five points. Uh, FEI. Also likes the Broncos by just 1.4. And uh, Parker Fleming, again, at Stats O War on Twitter. His advanced stats preview gives Boise State a 51.64% win probability, a projected margin of about 21 to 20. It's less than one point. Let's be precise here. I have it in front of me. 21. Yeah, it is, it is less 20, than one point. In, according, and according to that, the according to his entire slate of previews for this week also projects as the closest game of the weekend. That makes a lot of sense. Because you know that Purdue-Michigan game is going to be so close. <laughs> oh yeah. My gosh. Um, what's your score projection? As much as I want to take Fresno State, 
and believe me, I've thought about this for days. That is not an exaggeration. I've basically have been thinking about it since Saturday. I do think that Boise State has a slight advantage on defense. I could see that. And I just don't know if the Bulldogs are going to have enough answers to slow the Broncos running game. So I think that I would take the Broncos to win and to cover. Okay, then. Boise State 31, Fresno State 21. 10 points. Oh, my goodness. For the record, our staff is majority leaning towards Fresno State, about 70% so far to win outright, Matt. Just so you know. Okay. Thirty me, Fresno State thirty four, Boise State twenty eight. Field goals are here's the thing. Field goals aren't winning this game. Touchdowns are going to win this game. That's true. So, with my point there, there's going to be at least Fresno kicking a couple of field goals, or unless it's a, which would be the best way, just a walk off game winner play. You no need to kick the extra point. Thirty four twenty eight game over. UCLA style. Just say that would be nice as well. Who wouldn't want to see a game that ends on that note? <laughs> I'm just, I, my final thought here, I, I just put a lot of trust. Maybe it's too much. I put so much trust in Jay Kane or what he can do. He, to me, he is probably the very best player any for anybody in the field. I think he is that good. When he's on, he, nobody touched him. He's that good. Like, Taylor Green, you're good, but you're not there. No way. Ezekiel Noah, you're you're really, really good. Jalen Skinner, you're really, really good. I think Fresno has more weapons, more weapons on offense. More okay, let me put it this way. We mentioned Boise's passing where it's this guy or that guy. There's not one guy. We know who Fresno State's guys are. I just feel Fresno's offense. I know the first game, it's hard to you can't look at Logan Five, different guys. I think they have more uh, more weapons on offense. But the Boise defense clearly will give them fits and make plays on their own and stop them. But also last week, look what Cooper Lagod did at Utah State. They, the score doesn't indicate how close the game was when they drove, Utah State drove down on them and nearly won this game, but their defense saved them from the day. Then they scored a couple touchdowns at the end to make it a big victory. I just think Fresno's so, offense is too much. I just, that's what I'm leaning. I just think they have more players. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give my last thought then too. And then we that's can get fine. out of Go here. Because I'm going to, I'm going to flip my question to you from earlier upon myself. Uh-oh. Oh, Okay. Do you think that Boise State's defense is the best one that Jake Hayner has seen since his return from injury? Oh, since and I think if you if you look at the, if you look at the five opponents: San Diego State, Hawaii, UNLV, Nevada, Wyoming. To me, the answer is very clear: yes. Yeah, I think he's going to find out Wyoming it's a lot nothing. harder. I think he's going to find out it's a lot harder to be productive against the Broncos than it was against the likes of the Warriors and the Rebels and the Wolfpack. Well, clearly. But I, one thing I do, what is good, they played Wyoming last week and was not an issue. Right? 30 points? I guess we'll, find, a, we'll, we'll find out. That's why they played not, games, right? Yeah, not a ton of points. We saw the field position, which kind of limited the amount of yards. But my biggest surprise, if, the, if, if any team wins by more than 10 points, that would be my biggest shock in this one. It's going to be a good game regardless. Definitely. So check us out, mwr.com. Find everything out about the game. We're putting some more posts up throughout the week. Um, we'll have recaps. We'll obviously podcast recap the game. Um, 
I'm going to talk to you offline. Maybe we'll do some Twitter space things. We haven't done that all year. That might be a good opportunity to get some live reaction mid game or mid at halftime or something. We'll think about that, but give us your prediction. Oh, we do have, wait, hold on. We do have a question. I wait to get to this, right? It's very important. I'm only doing one question because there's a couple of them. I'm doing, doing one. Our buddy fake mummy on Twitter. Are they going to rebrand the title trophy in the honor of Craig Thompson's hair? <laughs> and should they? It, it might be appropriate. It should be done. That would be amazing. But uh, he's been the commissioner the whole time. I want to end on that. But yeah, MWR.com. Tell your friends, listen, it's the last last regular game for you, the bull stuff. But I just, Matt, I just don't want to blow. I just want a good game. That's all I care about. That's what I want. And my team to win, obviously, that I picked. But that's secondary. Anything else to add? Or are we good to go? I think we're all set. I'm ready for Saturday. All right. 2, 2 p.m. out and 1 p.m. Pacific on Fox. We'll see you then.